So you want to read Tolkien? We're happy to have you with us. Join us as we work our way through the Silmarillion. I'm Caitlin. I'm Rachel. And I'm Emily. Let's dig into this week's reading. For Middle-earth. If I tried to pronounce every letter in this name, my tongue would fall out of my mouth. I mean, I am on my second giant glass of Prosecco right now. So... Sally Ho! That's what Into the West means. Let's go home. We're unqualified, but we have ideas. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the show. This week, we're getting into... I did not write down the chapter names. Chapters 2 <laughs> of the so of the Quintessilmerillion, which is of Aule and Yavanna. And chapter 3 of The Coming of the Elves and the Captivity of Melkor. So just a couple things going on. Just a couple things going on. A lot of dramatic there. stuff. Before we get into that, I wanted to try a new segment where we talk about Tolkien-related things just briefly at the beginning. Mostly I want to bring this up because I feel like the general populace is not aware that a Tolkien biopic is coming out soon that I'm actually kind of excited about. I did not know that. I don't think I knew that either. I think it's just called Tolkien. And why wouldn't I have looked this up before we started recording? Yeah, Nicholas Holt plays J.R.R. Tolkien. And Lily Collins is playing his wife, Edith. All right. And that is coming out, I think, this year. I think they finished filming. I want to know who's going to play C.S. Lewis. As far as I can tell, they haven't cast him. Well, that's just unacceptable. Yeah, like he's not in the movie. Hmm. Curious. A lot of big names. Yeah. So I'm really excited to see that and to see what they say about Tolkien and how he did all of his writings. We may have like a a mini-sode where we talk about it when it comes out, if it comes out. Yeah. I'm a little bit iffy on Lily Collins playing Edith because... I've never liked her in anything, but I don't think I've seen her in anything good. It's true. So that may be more about the projects that she's been in than her. Mm-hmm. Anyways, something to look forward to. And also there's that weird Amazon thing, but we don't need to talk about that till we have more information. Yeah, no. Um, Fellowship of the Ring is on Netflix, but on the other hand, it's the theatrical version, not extended. So what's even the point? Yeah. Did you guys never have any Lord of the Rings on Netflix before? Uh, At least not for a long while. I can't remember ever having it. Okay. But um, it could be that they were on Netflix USA uh, before I got Netflix. Um, Yeah, I don't know. Because they definitely, I'm not sure if they're still there. I haven't checked recently. Uh, But they've definitely been on Netflix Canada, and they were the extended editions. Hmm. That's ridiculous. Yeah, we definitely wouldn't have had the extended editions. We're not that lucky. But I think that may have been before the Blu-rays came out. So, and I haven't, I haven't checked since I bought the Blu-rays. So, I don't know. Yeah. Since I have them in about 17 different editions, never quite needed the Netflix. Yeah. Although, again, they would make airplane, airplane, you know what I'm saying, air trips, long, go fast. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> um, actually, I, I did that, but they were just conventional e-copies and not Netflix e-copies. Ah, gotcha. All right. So Netflix may be exciting, but let's delve into this. Yes. On to the real stuff. Okay. You guys are taking the easy chapter. Yes. <laughs> um, so chapter two is of Ale and Yavanna, and... It's a really short chapter, but we get some introductions to later players, and even for those of us who have not read The Silmarillion before, we know who those later players are, which makes it a little bit exciting. Mm -hmm. Uh, So featured characters are really the ones that we know before. Um, Aule, sort of the, the valor of making things. Yvanna, the valor of the Earth. And then Manwe, our sky dude, and of course, Emmy's favorite, Iluvatar. <laughs> Still being a dickhead. Some things never change. 
Um, yeah, so the chapter begins with Aule creating the seven fathers of the dwarves um, in a hall under the mountain, and they're really the major impetus for most of the action in this chapter. So we can talk a little bit about them when we get into the plot. And then I don't think anybody else really comes in this one. Okay, wait, they talk to Manway at the end, and we are introduced to the Eagles, with a capital E, um, who I'm very excited mm-hmm. Um, but otherwise, right, that's I it. I write down the eagles. Emmy, do you want to do the plot? or? Yeah, I mean, I guess we can jump into it. So uh, this chapter begins with Aule kind of being alone, right? He's the maker of things. He's been creating mountains, and they've been knocked down by Melkor, and now he's kind of bored. Um, so he decides that he's tired of waiting for the children of Iluvatar, right? They're still a long way off, and he creates the dwarves. Um, well, the seven fathers of the dwarves. And he is really excited about them. He starts teaching them a language. Um, when Iluvatar sees what he has done or knew that this was coming and is like, why did you create something that isn't strong enough to live by itself? And Aule gets really upset about it because he didn't want to create like little dwarf slaves for himself. So he asks Eru like, if he should strike them down or uh, if Iluvatar wants to smite them himself. Um, and Iluvatar decides instead to give the dwarves life. Um, and that's the main plot of this chapter, I believe, except that then Yavanna realizes that the children of Iluvatar are going to come to Arda and take over the this world that she's created, right? She's grown all of the nature and created animals, um, and the children of Iluvatar get to come and rule over her creation. And she gets a little bit jealous, which, I don't know, I found mm-hmm. relatable. She does all the work and other people are going to come and claim the credit. And I think she was worried about them coming down and cutting down all of her forests. See, I, I picture her a little bit like right? the Lorax. Yeah. And that's that's like a recurring theme in all of uh, Tolkien's stories. Like, please don't chop down all the trees. So yeah, so Yavanna then decides to go to Manway with this this concern, and um, Manway basically chats with Iluvatar, who says, "Yeah, all right, sounds reasonable." And so um, basically, Iluvatar promises that when the uh, the children come, there will awaken creatures in the forest, the shepherds of the trees otherwise known as Ents. <laughs> Yay! And basically, we, we give birth to a bunch of creatures that are not technically supposed to show up yet, because the children have not technically come yet. Yeah, I like how Iluvatar was, okay, you guys can have your things, but not until after mine. Yep. <laughs> Pretty much. See, this is where I sort of get back into the whole, like, he knew everything that was going to happen thing. And then he like showed them the the children and told them to wait for them. But I don't know, knew that they wouldn't be able to wait or was pretty willing to just go along with the things they did with their impatience. Well, it just always surprises me how he waits for them to do these things that aren't technically Iluvatar approved and then shows up and be, acts like a dick about it. Like... I, the way he treated Aule when um, he had to have known this was going to happen. And he comes to what I'm assuming is the hall under the mountain and is basically waiting to decide if Aule acts humble enough, I'll let him keep his toys. And if he doesn't, I'm going to make him kill the dwarves. Like, rude much? Yeah, it's pretty terrible. He, he remains the worst father. Aule is humble enough, so he gets to keep his toys, but Melkor wasn't, so... Yeah. Doom onto him. I hate him! Yeah, it's pretty It's pretty shitty how Melkor was like, well, I'm gonna go and do these things that you don't want me to do. And then Iluvatar was like, and I'm gonna shame you in front of everyone and make you super angry. And then somebody else is like, I'm gonna go do this thing that I'm not supposed to do. And Iluvatar gives them... A plethora of second chances mm-hmm. that uh, that Melkor did not receive. 
I was a little intrigued by Manwe kind of reflecting this also in the end when uh, Yavanna is like, yes, I'm going to let the the trees grow tall for your eagles to roost in them. And Manway's basically like, no, 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 you, you've, you've asked too much. It, they're going to nest in, in all his mountains instead. <laughs> I mean, I, the elves are, I mean, the elves, the eagles are quite large. So I do think he had a point where it's like, your trees won't be big enough. Fair enough. But he's also like, at this point, he's risen so that what it seemed that he stood to such a height that his voice came down to Yavanna as from the paths of the winds. Yeah. Come on, dude. Yeah, considering they create and wear their own bodies, right? Like, he's a little full of himself to create something so large and majestic. He's not as humble as he could be. But his father doesn't come down and scold him. What I don't get is, like, did Iluvatar make the eagles? Did Manway make the eagles? Where did they come from? Why are the eagles suddenly here? Because we know that they are... Uh, sentient, like they have language and and uh, culture and all that sort of thing. So they're not like animals. Yeah, because we have had other animals before, but where do we draw the line between living creatures who are not, you know, Iluvatar's creations Was, of some form? These are so the eagles of the lords of the west. Lords is plural, so I assume they belong to all of the Valar. But I am very unsure. They don't really. They talk about the dwarves and the Ents, but they don't really. And then they mention the eagles, but. They right. don't and, really and previously we had had spiritual eagles, sort of. He'd had, like, sort of fake spirit creatures to look over things going on in Arda, but this is the first time we just suddenly get real actual physical birds. I'm just going to see if I can find this somewhere. I mean, yeah, so they're the messengers of Manway, so we can assume that so Manway created the birds. Manway created them, but like, did he have Iluvatar's permission? I'm going to assume he had to have had Iluvatar's help if the rules that applied to Aule also applied to Manway, which they would have had to because the only one of the Anur who was more powerful than all of the others was Melkor. Yeah. I mean, I know the eagles, they sort of come in and out of being important. They're basically there the, to save people at the very end when they need saving. <laughs> the convenient plot hole filler. Yeah. It's a hard job, but somebody's got to do it. Somebody needs to fly in and save the day. Yep. There were a few interesting points in this chapter. The first is on like the third paragraph where um, Aule just straight out calls the kingdom of Arda dumb. I laughed when I read that. And I know he was talking about how like he didn't mean dumb. He meant like, it's boring. There's nothing to do here. But um I still thought this entire passage where he was talking to Iluvatar about how basically they were left on this world too soon with nothing to entertain them was really interesting. Yeah, that's an, I get, yeah, that is interesting. I think that that's just a personality quirk, though. Like, some of them were perfectly happy just building their own towers and making some mountains and stuff. And Aule was like, I want to teach people. I want to talk to people. Which is, is fair. Like, none, neither of those is wrong. Just different different opinions. Feels like the only person he has interacted with in his time on Arda is Melkor. Right? Melkor and Yavanna, a little bit. I'd hope so, since they're married. What does that even mean if you don't really have a body? <laughs> well, yeah. We come back to our exciting philosophical questions about do they have bodily functions and the ability to eat and drink. You know what? After our conversation last week about how the Valar can't have children, I remembered the Maiar can, or at least some of them can, because one of them definitely does. Interesting. So I, I don't really know where the line is drawn there. <laughs> well, considering now Aule basically has children, it's a pretty arbitrary line. Yeah. They can't birth children, but they can create their own. Yeah. Or presumably, because we never hear about them having children, 
And with, like, humans and elves, we hear about all the family trees. So if they were having children, we'd hear about it. That's true. Does anybody else think it's interesting that the dwarves came before the elves? I just keep thinking about, in The Lord of the Rings, all of the conflict between the dwarves and the elves, and which one of their races is better, and... Yeah, I do like that. And then... But, like, elves are always called the first children or whatever, but dwarves were like, um... Him... (laughs) Iluvatar being like, nope, nope, no showing me up, remember. It's true. Yeah. I also love that they have such a cooler origin story. You know, getting getting basically made by hand is way cooler than, you know, being magically sprung from Iluvatar. Getting made by hand because a demigod was bored. Yep, that's a much better story. They're all men, which is... He didn't think through. Yeah, apparently. No. <laughs> so I want to yeah. know how that how that works. Like, do they wake up later and are like, "So could we maybe have some women?" <laughs> I suppose point toward uh, the Valar not being able to reproduce because yeah. they have vague non bodies. <laughs> but I love I, I love this idea of Tolkien's like sexism here that he made seven men. And somehow that gave them an entire race of beings. But, like, he never <laughs> he never goes into how the women arrive or whatever. Like, what even happens there? I don't, who knows? Well, everyone knows that dwarves just spring out of the ground like daisies. <laughs> That's one of my favorite lines from the movie. Okay, I'm trying to think of what else in this chapter I thought was interesting, but given that it's, like, three pages long... It's four pages long. I'm exaggerating a tiny bit. Oh, we have the recurrence of Iluvatar's song, the song that they all sang as Anur. Um, and with the song, Manwe gets to see the vision that they had of Arda when it was complete with the children. And I couldn't tell if that was, like, if his dream vision thing that happens in this paragraph. I was a little confused. If it was a gift from Iluvatar or if it was just him remembering. I just did so much work on the next chapter that I don't remember this paragraph at all. Whereabouts is it? Um, it is on my very last page. Okay, okay so it'll probably be on my second last page here. There you go. Then it seemed to Manwe that the song rose once more about him. Okay, yes. It is interesting that Manwe is sort of the only one who apparently can still connect back to that song and that vision. I think I I would feel like Omo also can. Maybe it's not talked about as much because the song still lives on the most within the ocean. Oh yeah, it does. So I I would think that uh, Omo being underwater, even though we don't see him very often, he he might be even more connected to Iluvatar and to the song than Manwe, but we just don't know about it. Which explains why he only creates uh, horrible sea creatures and not, you know, dwarves and ants. Or, like, pretty sea That's creatures. That's non-canonical. I don't know. <laughs> or, or there are some pretty ones, but there are a lot of terrifying things in the ocean. As someone who is, like, one of my number one fears in the world is being trapped in a tiny boat with a large water animal beneath it. Um, I agree. <laughs> it's terrifying out there. Yep. That's a very specific fear. Um, it is, but you would be surprised about how often it comes up. To be fair, I do live on the coast, so <laughs> that might not be a front line. Like, sometimes there's whales in our rivers, so, like, these things happen. Yeah. I saw a whale once. It was very far away. What, what type um, of whale? We're gotten, we've gotten way off track, sorry. Karen. We're, we're, we're coming back to the pack yeah. here. Um, coming back to the book. I don't think that there's anything else to talk about, actually, in Chapter 2. The song was the last thing on my list. I guess um, the only sort of last thing that might be important to mention about um, Chapter 2 is that the dwarves do basically uh, worship Aule as their creator, um, whether that's through ignorance or choice uh, I don't know again this book doesn't really draw the line between myth and reality 
like quote unquote, like reality within the fiction, you know, like, so what of these are stories being told around the fire for the elves or whatever? And what of these are actual things that the elves have experienced? Right. How much is this, you know, elves trying to demean the dwarves? How much is what actually happened? Yeah. Yeah. So the line is not drawn very clearly, but also like sometimes the elves have most definitely spoken to this god. And sometimes they are telling a story about an elf that spoke to this god. And I, you know, and the line is just not drawn very clearly. Um, anyways, it does uh, briefly mention that the seven dwarves, you know, they were put to sleep and they do return to live again. And it mentions Durin, who was the most renowned of the elves. And it talks about their mansions at Casa Doom, which comes up later. Yes. Yes, we're going to have some very interesting things to talk about back to this when we get into The Hobbit and forward from there. And we do see dwarves again within the Silmarillion. Pretty sure. I don't think they're terribly important, but they come back. Okay, so chapter three (laughs) of The Coming of the Elves and the Captivity of Melkor. For those of you reading along, this chapter was probably a lot for you. (laughs) It was. It was. But... We're going to break it down, and I'm going to tell you the things that you can just forget. (laughs) I'm pretty sure you can just forget them. I will say, sometimes Tolkien changes the names of things, so maybe I don't recognize the name of them here, so I'm going to be like, eh, that isn't important. But then later on, oh wait, shit, that is important. But I think I've got it all worked out. It happens. Yeah. So the beginning of the chapter... Shoot, what in the hell happens? I was mostly writing the notes about the elves... Okay, so... We, we fight Melkor again. Yeah. The, the Valar realize that the elves are going to awaken soon in Middle-earth, and Melkor... Mel, blah, 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 words. Melkor uh, is still... No. Here's what it is. Orome discovers the elves. That's what happens. He's, he's just riding around, all happy. And then he's like, oh, look, I find some elves. Who knew? Iluvatar didn't tell us that they had awoken. He let Melkor steal some of them and start poisoning their minds against us. Sounds about right. Even though he could have just said, hey dudes, that thing you're waiting for, it's there. Anyways. Iluvatar's still the worst. And Manway, Manway said, no, let's not fight Melkor now. Let's wait. And so he's complicit. It's a conspiracy. Anyway. So the elves... <laughs> we have some strong opinions about power yeah. <laughs> dynamics. <laughs> we can get into conversation later. <laughs> so the elves awaken in a place called... Hmm. Ku... Hmm. Kuivienen? Sure. Nice try. <laughs> Thank you. I'm proud of that try. Um, <laughs> and basically they awaken and they can see the stars. Oh, at the beginning of the chapter, Varda made some more stars. That's... Um, she, that was nice yeah, of her. Because they realized that there was no... Uh, the lamps were gone, and while they had the trees over in Valinor, the elves were going to awaken in basically darkness. So there were some stars, but she made closer, brighter, more beautiful ones. And so the elves awaken, and the first thing they see is the stars, and the first thing they hear is the sound of like streams and water and stuff. So... The importance of sound and water coming back is why I mentioned that. So anyways, Orame discovers them, and then he goes back to Valinor and is like, maybe we should get rid of Melkor, because the elves are there now. And eventually the others are like, yeah, okay, let's go get them. <laughs> so the Valar ride on, where does Melkor live right now? Angband, I think? They go to Angband, they get Melkor, they chain him up in the halls of Mandos, who is the guy who, like, the Halls of the Dead, basically. There's a prison in there. They prison him up. Worth it to note that during this battle, or I guess just before, Melkor turned some uh, Maiar into big bad demons called Balrogs. We know them! Balrogs! Yes, and... Enter stage left. Um, Sauron was not captured and is still out there. Doing shit. Dun-dun-dun. Of course. And also, before he got locked up, Melkor stole some elves and did some shit to them, and they became orcs. Dun-dun-dun. That sounds familiar, too. So, that is what an orc is. That's very it's sad. An elf of the beginning days that Melkor stole and tried to create into his own being, but they just turned into 
basically kind of like mini Melkors because they're resentful of not being elves and they're resentful of what Melkor did to them, but they still like follow Melkor, you know? So they're just kind of like mini Melkors. It's very sad. Okay, here's a question that we can come back to later, but I've been wondering this. Is, does that mean that the orcs have the immortality? I would go with yes. Let's come back to that later. I don't even know if it's ever gone over. But yeah, we can have that discussion elsewhere. So, what happens now? We have a second council after Melkor is all locked up. They love councils. They love their councils. And this is more about what do we do with our new elf friends? Do we leave them? Do we invite them over to our beautiful Valinor and let them see our trees? Um, Ulmo thinks this is a bad idea. And so does Mandos. But everybody else is like, we want friends. We want to talk to somebody who isn't the same 12 people we've been talking to for the past thousands and thousands and thousands of years. And I think that is fair. I'd want to talk to someone new. I just appreciate the euphemistic phrasing of, should we show them our trees? (laughs) (laughs) Right. Anyways. (laughs) um, uh, Mandos has a line here that I definitely highlighted or wrote down or something that I think is actually really important. Is that the, the so it is doomed? Yes. So, when, um, when they decide to bring the elves over, Mandos, who I assume was just sort of sitting there silently glowering, like the god of the dead that he is. Right, it's a... Mandos broke his silence, saying, so it is doomed. Which, I mean, they're just like, we want new friends. And he's like, well, shit's gonna happen. <laughs> just FYI. You can't have nice things. And, um, yeah, shit does happen. Anyways, so Orme, who's the only one That is the next line, in fact. (laughs) Yeah, shit does happen. Um, so Orme, who's the only one who the elves have met, goes back and is like, hey, come see our land of immortality and shit. And then most of the elves are like, who are you? Why would we go anywhere? This is our home. Uh, Sounds about right. Yeah, he convinces three of the leaders to come with him and just check it out and so that they can report back. And those three are Finway, Ingway, and Elway. God damn it, Tolkien. Did you have to end them all with way? (laughs) Yeah. Now, the Ingway is not going to be that important. We can pretty much forget about Ingway after this chapter. Finway is going to be super fucking important. Elway is also going to be important, but after this chapter, he's going to go by a different name, so we don't have to worry about it. Like, that sounds completely different. So we don't have to worry about the names sounding similar. (sighs) All right. Like, the next chapter is called Of Thingle and Melian. Elway is Thingle. Hmm. Good to know. All right. So, but Finway, keep him in mind. He's important. Okay, so... They come, they see the trees, they see the Valar, and they're like, oh shit, this place is great. So then they go back to their elfy friends, families, and they're like, we should go. It's fabulous. (laughs) Now. (laughs) This is just like that. Fabulous. Road trip time. Road trip time. Now, this is where shit gets complicated. Oops, I hit my mic. You should all know that I'm gesturing very actively with my hand while I do this. (laughs) So please draw like maps with your fingers. <laughs> yeah, and... that's pretty much what I'm doing. Oh, speaking of maps, uh, there will be either the maps themselves or links to the maps in our show notes today that will show the journey that is about to happen. So the elves from Kuivivive. I'm not looking at the word, so I can't say it. Kuivenen, whatever. From the place where they woke up. Kuivenen. There we go. Some of them are like, "Nope, we're good here," and the others are like, "Yes, we will come." The ones who stay are called the Avari, the unwilling, mostly unimportant. We don't really see them again. Now, the ones who go on the journey, some of them keep going on the journey and make it to Valinor, yay. Some of them see things and lands on their journey towards the shore and like, oh, we want to stay here or, oh, we don't want to bother crossing those mountains. That's way too much work. We'll just live here. Relatable. Yeah. Yeah. So even though they don't make it to Valinor, they move west on the land and sort of have this big immigration of elves, which is why this is important. 
So they like they populate the over the land that they had stayed out of earlier. Okay. Whew. So yeah, a lot <laughs> happened in this chapter. Um, so the elves that make it to Valinor now not. In this chapter, the Vanyar and the Noldor make it there. Uh, the Teleri didn't quite make it there yet, but they do. So I'm going to talk about them in, in Valinor also. So the Vanyar... Okay. Wait, a step back. Of the elves that make it to Valinor, they break off into sort of three different groups that are basically dependent on their personality and interests. Basically, the Hogwarts houses of Valinor. That's why you got to think about this. There's the Vanyar... Who are like, we love it here. We love these Valar. We're good. And that's the the ones that Ingwe is the sort of lord of. And he is sort of seen as the high king of all elves ever. And is basically unimportant (laughs) to the story. Like, we don't really hear about them anymore. The Vanyar stay. They don't leave Valinor again. And then there is the Noldor, who become very good friends with Aule, and they make things, and they are super-duper important. They are what most of the following stories are going to be about, the Noldor. And then there are the Teleri, who, again, don't make And they're it. the people, hmm? they're Finway's people. They're, oh, yes, sorry. Yeah, they they're are Finway's. Finway's so. people. We're going to meet a lot of elves that have names beginning with Fs coming up. Those are the Noldor. <laughs> <laughs> super important. And then there are the Teleri, who, again... Haven't made it to Valinor yet in this chapter, but do in the next one. And they're like, we really love the ocean and water still, so we're going to set up here on the shore, and we're going to make boats, and we're going to sail around, and we're going to have a cool life here. And they are important because they now have the only means that elves themselves have, like without talking to the Valar, of getting back to Middle-earth. Because they are the only people with boats. They are the only people who know how to sail. And that is important. Okay. Um, a bunch of elves stay in Middle-earth and sort of just create their own kingdoms. We'll, we'll go into that afterwards. I did write down how they are mostly called the Moraquendi, which is the Dark Elves, which I liked because it doesn't mean that they're evil or anything like that that you might think of. They're just called that because they never saw the light of the trees. And they are currently living under just starlight, yeah, right? Yeah. And I think that is all the important people gone over in this chapter. Just a couple. I believe we will go <laughs> more in depth in chapter five. Oh, God. Whew. Okay. Dis- chapter discussion. Where to begin? Um, one of the things that I kept coming back to was, like, they're getting distracted by woods and stuff, but also, I thought that this place was still mostly barren and and infected by Melkor. Um, if you recall, Yavanna did keep coming back and trying to, like, grow things and that sort of thing, even when Melkor was still there. Yeah, I feel like there was just a... a I felt like there was a sp- section where they still described how terrible it was. Hmm. I feel like that was, a f- like, back in Chapter 1, though, and now we've had time for Aule and Yavanna to, you know create children and grow more nature because it sounded to me when she was talking about how she didn't want the children to come and take over this world she'd created that most of nature had been grown already like there was less barren land than there had been yeah and they do also get distracted by like rivers yeah it's okay i know we're we're operating on a fake time scale here yeah <laughs> oh i i think i said angband was melkor's stronghold before that's sauron's stronghold uh melkor is yeah i think melkor was still in utumno utumno yes thank you sorry all right so elves how did we feel about all the elves overwhelmed there were a lot of them did i really need to know all of your names did i it's not even, like, their personal names. It's no. the names of their different groups and their different immigrations and different cultures, I guess. I don't know. Yeah, I found it very interesting that we had all of these different sort of factions, but from the, the latter book's perspective, we kind of just know them as elves. You know, we know where they might be from, but... We just kind of refer to them in the general. And now here I'm going, wait, there are all these different ones. And 
Do they ever meet up again? And they're preferred by different gods and... Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Sorry, I know the answer to some of these questions, but I'll... <laughs> Keep your mouth yeah. shut. Um, I am still... I'm super intrigued still by the, you know, philosophical questions of the elves twisted into orcs and, and you know, their potential immortality, etc., yeah, and that's interesting, because I feel like orcs would be sort of like cockroaches then, and just, like, overrun the earth. Right. You think, like, luckily, the only thing going for the, the good people of Middle-earth is that the orcs are pretty easy to kill, but... Well, they do throw themselves into battle very frequently. That's true. And they don't really get along with each other that well. Well, I just wonder if eventually we're going to get to a part where Iluvatar strips them of immortality or something. Because they should be immortal, right? I mean, it's not like you can torture it out of them. Yeah, and we don't, we don't really ever see any old orcs. So I would say that they probably still are, uh, maybe not immortal, but like unaging. Like they would never die of old age. Most of them just never have a chance to see it. Yeah, because it... I know in The Lord of the Rings, it's very easy to turn orcs against each other. Mm -hmm. So I think even if they're not necessarily at war with any humans, then they might suddenly be at war with each other, and that would keep their population down. I also have no idea how orcs procreate. Like, are, are, are there women? <laughs> Another question I don't know if I actually want the answer to. I don't know if I want the answer to either. Are there women? I would guess not, because everything is being created by men. Yeah. And they don't seem to think these things through. And all I can picture is when Saruman is creating the Urukai, and they're, like, coming out of the ground. And it's, ugh. And they're like... Yeah, that was pretty gross. Yeah. I, I too, wish to be born from pits of goo. Well, you were... I mean, just, like, from a scientific basis. <laughs> yeah, a little bit less of a romantic notion than, you know, <laughs> dwarves basically hewn of stone. Yeah, the dwarves win for backstory. <laughs> I do want to point out, though, that, technically speaking, the orcs are still ch children of Iluvatar. Yes, they are. Well, of course he came in and took credit for them. It's what he does. It, it is also, like, no, no, orcs, not, not dwarves. That since the orcs are from from elves, Iluvatar oh. doesn't want to claim them. But I see what you're saying. Interesting thought. I wonder if like their elf souls are trapped. You know, mm -hmm. maybe they all kind of secretly long for death, <laughs> and that's why they're so warmongering because they want to be. Really yeah. Anyways, this is getting. In the end, do they get to rejoin with Iluvatar's grand plans? <laughs> I am interested in this. Listen, I don't know if we're going to be able to solve the mental health of orcs <laughs> in this podcast. <laughs> I don't think we have enough evidence. <laughs> especially since they're literally mentioned in this chapter in like one line. There's one line that mentions orcs. <laughs> we get no new information. Yeah. I did want to mention quickly that this chapter also goes over a whole heck of a lot of geography in um, an area of Middle-earth called Beleriand and also Syrian. Oh, Syrian. Sorry, Syrian, something else. I think Syrian's just a river. Anyways, um, Osirian and uh, that's pretty much it. Beleriand and Osirian. And there's a map in the book and you can look up a map of this area. And when you look this up, your first thought, or at least my first thought is always, Where's Middle-earth? Like, where's Mordor and Gondor and the lands that we recognize from that, you know, traditional map of Middle-earth? So in our notes, I will link to a map that shows how the two sections link up. Um, but basically throughout this book, there's going to be a lot of changes to the actual physicalness of the Earth. And that's why these lands don't exist in The Lord of the Rings. Um, but if you don't look at the map, we are basically west and north of where everything happens in the lord of the rings does that make sense that's very helpful yeah yeah, yeah i have yeah our, my handy map here at the end of uh my edition has arid luane right on the very far eastern edge of the map and you go yeah okay that that sort of matches up yeah and that was something that um 
I think just like Tolkien scholars, otherwise known as fans, did when like they found a road that was on both maps and the mountains and were like, okay, we can make this happen. <laughs> Smash them together. Yeah. So that's why it's confusing. The geography of Arda changes a lot at the end of this book. Yes, I, I ha- keep having to remind myself that the world is still flat right now. It is. Still no sun and moon, everything flat. Yeah, the sun and the moon thing is throwing me because I keep forgetting that there's, you know, no light to speak of, except for the trees and the stars. Yeah. Yeah, Valinor must be, like, it must be so weird to go from Middle Earth to Valinor, like this dark place where all you can see is stars, to this place of light and that already has buildings and culture and all these things. I was about to say everybody's pasty pale, but they would be pasty pale anyway because it's Tolkien <laughs> and everyone's white. Yep. Yeah, not much, I guess, plot happened in this chapter. It was just a lot of people. A lot of things get created. Mm-hmm. I couldn't keep most of it straight. Without the map, I was totally lost. Did my sum up help? Yes. Yes, it absolutely did. Okay. Because I think... Because... Sorry? I was the book the book gives all of the details of their journey and where they sort of pause to look at things before continuing on and you just sort of summed up the yeah these people go yeah it takes a very long time they literally take an island as a boat <laughs> <laughs> oh yes i see on this lovely map right there island ferry yeah they elves pile onto an island leave it they leave the Teleri behind and the Noldor and the Vanyar get on an island, and the island is ferried across the sea. And years later, Oromae goes back with the island for the Teleri. <laughs> oh. But wasn't, I think, the sea, didn't it get created when they were fighting with Melkor? Um, well, the sea, the sea itself has is always that, been there. The Maybe sea? it got bigger? I feel like there was something, there was a lot of, so like the elves happened and then they fought with Melkor and the, those poor elves are just like hunkering down in terror while the earth shakes and. Well, the elves have not fought with Melkor yet. The Valar have. The Valar? No, no, the Is Valar, sorry. The Valar okay. were fighting with Melkor while the elves just like hunkered down in utter terror. Well, Umo has always had the sea as his home. So the sea has always been there to some extent, but I don't think it would be ridiculous to think that with Melkor and Aule fighting and creating Earth and building mountains and tearing them down, that its boundaries have shifted. Mm-hmm. Yeah, here we go. On my page 51, it's, um, it's long and grievous was the siege of Atomno. And in that time, the shape of Middle-earth was changed, and the great sea that sundered it from Amun grew wide and deep. Oh, I think it just grew bigger. So, yeah. And then they add a bunch of, like, they make some extra bays and whatnot, but... Makes you wonder, did it get shallower if it got bigger? Because the world is flat, so where is the water coming from? From Iluvatar, Emmy, obviously. Is he adding more water to yeah, it? Yeah, he's got like a that seems he's like, got like a hose attentive. plugged into the void. <laughs> just a little squirt bottle. Filling it up. <laughs> I was imagining more like a really large pitcher, and he was just pouring <laughs> it out of the void. <laughs> I like the hose better because it's more ridiculous. <laughs> As far as, like, I will say, if you look at the map of where the elves first awoken in Kuivenen, or whatever, it is a very far away from where... That's a long way. Melkor is. Yeah, that's a hall. So oh, from where Melkor is, yeah. Yeah, so, like... He, he knew that they were there before the Valar did, and he definitely tried to, like we said, steal them and poison their minds against the Valar. But as far as the actual fighting that happened afterwards, that happened way over north of Beleriand, I think. Oh, yeah. They just described that they could at least feel what was going on. Yeah. They didn't know anything, but they could feel the earth shake. So at least the Luvatar had them awakened far away from Melkor mm-hmm. instead of, you know, right in Beleriand, which would have been upsetting. <laughs> would have been a bit of a bad idea. Yeah. So, I don't know. Do, do we have anything to say about 
I think it's kind of interesting that the elves, you know, this random dude on a horse shows up and they're like, yeah, we'll come to your faraway land. <laughs> then they left everything that they'd ever known and went on this huge giant journey. I guess, I mean, then you just sort of get into the, well, if they were meant to do it, maybe they somehow knew. But I sure wouldn't follow some strange man who showed up at my doorstep and told me to go on an adventure. <laughs> I mean, it would depend on how boring your life was, right? I like the way that you you phrase that because it, it does connect it to the other stories. It, to every single one of them. Yeah. <laughs> and I will stay in my hobbit hole. And that's actually kind of an interesting thing because there is like a cyclical nature throughout these stories. Because as we will see, all three of them are basically, uh, to some degree, about a piece of jewelry that everybody wants. And and walks back and forth across Middle-earth and Arda. Yeah, you'd think somebody would have invented something faster than walking. They do a lot of walking. I get yeah. that sometimes they have horses, but still, they walk a lot. Still. When you consider that really they're celestial wavelengths. I like this one that all of... All of the elves, like, they walk all the way across the land when there's this giant inland sea of Helkar that they could have sailed through and then been at the Great Sea. They didn't have boats yet. Well, okay. but say, had they invented boats? They could pull up an island. Oh, that's fair. Or they do pull up an island. Yeah, the Valar do. I just, I feel like moving a whole island is a lot of work. Like, maybe it took too much energy. Yeah. <laughs> Who knows? And if they did go across the water, then they all they wouldn't have found all the lands that they end up populating. And there would have been too many elves in Valinor. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, yeah, so that was basically this chapter. The elves moving into Beleriand and or Valinor. Wander around a bunch, following a strange dude. And then Beleriand is where most of the story is going to take place. I do sort of love that Melkor getting captured and, and put in prison is basically a footnote in this chapter. Yeah, it's. I didn't have enough time to become indignant about it. It barely took up any page space. Yeah, when I was writing out the sum up of this chapter, I actually kind of forgot about it. And then when I was speaking about it later, I was like, oh, wait, Melkor did some stuff. Just a little bit of stuff. Like, even the chapter title... Um, the whole title is of the coming of the elves and the captivity of Melkor, but at the heading of my, my book pages, they just cut off the end. Nope, it's just of the coming of the elves. Nothing yeah. else. Listen, that's more accurate. I got really excited thinking that stuff was going to happen with Melkor in this chapter, and then it really just didn't. It was very brief. Don't worry, there's more Melkor later. <laughs> Damn right. Then we're going to have three whole books about trying to defeat Sauron. <laughs> Except, again, you see so much more of Sauron in this, like, one book than you do in those three books, because he's just... It is true. He's just an eyeball. Well, well, yeah, he has he has legs. It's so nice. Yeah. I was going to say, I keep forgetting, actually, that he has legs in the story, because I'm so used to just thinking of him as a tower <laughs> and a fiery eyeball in the distance. We can just picture him right now as not in the tower and just a floating eyeball moving around. Don't worry. Don't worry. You'll... He, he gets into some, you know, one-on-one -on -one combat and stuff, so we'll get to see him do some stuff. Alright. Sauron shenanigans. So next week's reading... Yes. yes. Next week, Sauron homework. shenanigans. So homework is chapter four, which is super short, and that is of Thingol and Melian. And I'm super excited because Melian is my favorite and I love her so much. Yay. And Yay! And then chapter five is of Eldamar and the Princes of the Eldalier. Uh, I don't think I went over Sounds promising. the word Eldalier, but that is basically the term for all of the elves that did in fact make it to Valinor. So the three people that I talked about earlier as a whole are the Eldalier. Yay. Okay. So that chapter is going to be all of some the ways, right? Family trees. Yeah. Right. It's going to be like, what, seven pages of family tree? Yeah. But don't worry, I've already got a oh plan God. for bringing it to people that you will recognize. So sort of tie awesome. in oh, some shit together. <laughs> all right. That's all I ask. Yeah. 
So do your reading, people. Don't skip it. We'll help you out. Or don't do your reading if you don't want to. We'll, we'll go over it. It's fine. Or don't do your reading and let Caitlin talk you through it. <laughs> I hope I'm doing a good job. Uh, there's too many names. You got, <laughs> you got me to figure out where people sort of wandered to, so. Yay. Um, I will also mention that if you want to, you can always go to, shoot, the Tolkien Gateway. That is a very good sort of, you know, wiki site with a lot of information. And once we're getting into Family Trees, the lotrproject.com, um, they just have one big-ass giant tree connecting everyone and everything within all of the books and are a very good resource. And you can, like, click on the names and it'll bring up their page, if they have a page, on the Tolkien Gateway. So you can get, like, a little blurb about who they are and how they connect to the story. And it is very useful. All right. That's going to get fun. Yeah. Yeah. Is there anything else we needed to talk about this one? I think we're pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Let's let people start going on adventures. Well. Fighting over jewelry. Well, we have to do family trees first. <laughs> Can't get it. We're getting closer. We're getting closer. Look, first we made a world, and now we made some people. And now it's progress. you need to know every single people that was ever made, <laughs> ever. And then ever. maybe you can hear about their adventures. Oh, Tolkien. He just wanted to name some people. That's all he wanted. Why? And on that note, we'll see you all next week. I've been Caitlin. I've been Rachel. And I'm Emmy. Bye. Have a good one. All right. Bye, everyone. <laughs>